a scary basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including a living jack-o'-lantern with razors for teeth, a vampire who is angry you're getting your student loans forgiven, a woolly mammoth who has dreams that come true, and Skeletor from He-Man. I'm Mikey McCaller. And I'm Roxy Polk. <laughs> Roxy, let's start out, as we always do, with the scariest thing that we saw this week. What went down in your life outside the scary basement that spooked you to your bones? So I was driving, and normally I don't pay too much attention to what types of cars are in front or behind me or whatever, mm -hmm. um, until I realized I've been behind this car for a really long time. It's going in the same direction I am. And you know what kind of car it was, Mikey? Hmm. It was a hearse. <gasps> That's where dead people go. Yeah, and so I like I I was like, is there a coffin back there? Are they like going to a funeral or memorial or something? It felt like fifteen minutes. It was probably more like five <laughs> minutes, but it was like, okay, it's going the exact same way I am. What's going on? And then eventually, I was getting closer and closer to my house. It was like, okay, what? It's why is it so close to my house? Where is it going? <laughs> Maybe it'll just keep going. Um, and then I realized. There's a mortuary just a couple blocks from my house, so okay. it did actually eventually turn. I was like, <laughs> okay, not going to my house. I didn't actually die, and I'm now like a ghost driving in my car and not realizing I'm dead. No, there's just some- That's exactly what I was thinking, because like, <laughs> you don't think about this, but hearses have to go pick up dead bodies also. So like, if they were going yeah. to pick up a dead body, how scary would it be if it drove to your house and picked up your dead body? You'd be like, uh-oh, I gotta readjust- my way of thinking now that i'm dead <laughs> now i'm a twilight zone episode yeah <laughs> very dead the scary whole time uh, but what about you mikey what happened to you this week that my scary you. thing is not so much a, a horror thing but it did it was the s most scared i've been <laughs> this week okay roxy one of my favorite wrestlers cm punk was facing john moxley for the undisputed aew world championship and uh -huh. they were like clearing the decks. They were like, there's an hour left in this program. We are sticking with this match as long as it goes. So I'm like, okay, we're in for a long, epic battle. Roxy, so are they trying to drag it out based on the timeline or? Well, that's the thing. Like if you're, if you've got your two wrestlers set up to do a long match, you make it clear, like this is going to be an epic battle between two of the best wrestlers in the world. Okay. And Roxy, my favorite wrestler, CM Punk, he lost to John Moxley in just under four minutes. John Moxley oh, out of an hour? brutalized him. <laughs> There's this very unique feeling that happened to me during this match. And it happens to me like when you're watching sports, when you're just okay. like, you're realizing like, oh, my team that I'm rooting for, they don't have it today. And you're just, mm. your stomach drops. It's like really the most tangible. I even feel like in movies when like a, a character I love is going to die, it's just like, okay, this is part of the story. Like I can even kind of justify it for that. With sports, when things go wrong, you're just like, okay, I guess it's just disappointment today. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you're just kind of stuck in there with the team too, until it actually comes to the conclusion of the end of the game. Mm -hmm. So, so if you realize it halfway through, then you're just there for the rest of the other half being like, well, cool. I get to see you guys. It gets rubbed in even more. And that's which sucks. That I think is also like the other side of that coin is when your team, you know, and the Minnesota Vikings are down by three touchdowns. And in the last couple minutes of the game, they come back and make it a game like nothing is more exciting. And that's what I think is so great about pro wrestling is they can craft these kind of stories because CM Punk is going to face John Moxley again. 
at the upcoming pay-per-view oh. all out. So it's like, I am really rooting for my guy to like come back from the depths. But so it's a yeah. great story. And if he does, yeah, that's like, how they get you plugged in. The one thing I don't understand though is they had an entire hour to fill and then summed it up in four minutes. What was the point of that? Did they not talk to each other about how it needed to be drawn out a little bit more? They, they wanted to make the audience as shocked by that result as possible. Well, then what did they do for the rest of the 55 minutes, Mikey? They, what happened? They still had another match to go. That they were like, after this, we have as much time as we need. We're going to stick with both of these matches. So there was still another match. But then they kind of just like filled the time with other wrestlers coming out and giving interviews. And they, they were able to figure it out. Okay. Okay. Oh, why did I burp there? You were just so overcome with emotion that you had to burp for... Yeah, that's how, my, name? That, that's how my burps John work. Moxley? <laughs> <laughs> Bully, John Moxley. Uh, speaking of bullies, here comes our bully, <laughs> the Demon Bot. Hey, Demon Bot. Mikey and Roxy, this week you were assigned the 1980 film Friday the 13th. Did you watch the film, or are your souls forfeit? Uh, yes, I did, in fact, watch Friday the 13th. Did you watch it, Roxy? Yes, yes, I did. Whew. I think we're going to keep the our original. souls. And then I even tried to watch the uh, Michael Bay 2018 remake and had to stop halfway through so i can safely say i only watched the 1980s one roxy you know that you do not get extra credit for going beyond the assignment god damn it however you may keep your souls for now okay and don't so get got- a little credit for next week it'll roll over <laughs> accumulate it so i get two times the soul points doesn't sound like it roxy make sure you still watch the movie for next week Yes, we watched the original Friday the 13th. Roxy, if anybody has not seen the movie, what do you say we give a quick plot recap so they can feel like they have? That sounds great. Let's do it. (laughs) The year, 1958. The place, Camp Crystal Lake. The mood, ominous. A bunch of camp counselors sing a song in front of the fire before two of the sexiest of the bunch sneak off to go make out. They are then murdered by an unseen killer. With the guy being stabbed in the stomach and the girl being killed off screen. Presumably. We then move into the present where Camp Counselor Annie wanders through town looking for Camp Crystal Lake. When she stops at a local diner to ask for directions, she's met with hesitation. With one customer asking if she really wants to go to Camp Blood. Annie is offered a ride by a hefty truck driver named Ennis before being stopped by a harbinger whose name is Ralph who tells Annie not to go to that camp, as it has upon it a death curse. On the drive, Ennis tells Annie about the two counselors who died in 1958, as well as a little boy who drowned at Camp Crystal Lake the year before that, in 1957. When Annie responds that those tales don't make her want to quit, Ennis accosts her for being as rock-headed as every other kid. Annie replies that, for having such a unique hot take, and it truly is, quote, an American original, she's dropped off outside a graveyard and continues her hike towards Camp Crystal Lake. At Camp Crystal Lake, we meet Steve Christie, the new owner of the camp, who is the son of the old owners of the camp. He welcomes new counselors, Marcy, Ned, and Kevin Bacon, to the grounds and immediately demands they get to work. They haven't even stepped out of their car (laughs) and he's already barking orders at them in his short shorts. (laughs) The kids they will be looking after are coming in two weeks, so they've got to get the campgrounds ready. Steve then approaches Alice, who already has her nose to the grindstone repairing the gutters. 
Steve finds her sketchbook and notes that she is a good artist and that he can tell she doesn't like being a counselor. He asks Alice to stay the week and see if she can come around to the idea of working at Camp Crystal Lake, and Alice agrees. After creepily rubbing the face of Alice, who, remember, is his young employee, Steve goes into town, leaving all these immature camp counselors in charge of the place. Steve is such a fucking creepy weirdo. (laughs) We then catch back up with Annie, who hitchhikes towards the camp with an unseen driver. Hint, never accept a ride from anyone you can't see. (laughs) Just just common sense, really. Uh, She then realizes this driver has sinister intent. Annie rolls out of the car and tries to escape through the woods. But no, the killer catches Annie and slits her throat. She's dead. (laughs) Boy, is she. Back at the camp, everyone's having fun. Ned and new counselor Brenda are at the archery range having themselves a time, while Alice finds a snake in her cabin and screams, causing her friend Kevin Bacon to run in and kill the snake for her. But the good times come to a screeching halt when Harbinger Ralph appears in the pantry, again warning the teens that he's had dreams of them all dying if they don't leave the camp. Then, Ralph leaves without much fanfare. (laughs) Without much fanfare, I think you mean like a five-minute scene where he just rides away on his bike and we watch him ride away for some reason. Very weird. (laughs) Then, a thunderstorm rolls in. First, Ned follows a mysterious figure into a cabin. Then, Marcy tells Kevin Bacon she too has dreams of a red blood rain spattering all over the grounds, which of course gets both of them going. (laughs) They sneak off into a cabin and have sex. Little did they realize, however, that Ned's stabbed and sliced up dead body is on the top bunk. Marcy then leaves to use the bathroom, leaving an unseen killer free to stab Kevin Bacon through the neck with an arrow from under the bed somehow. (laughs) The killer then sneaks off to the bathroom to split Marcy's face in two with the hatchet. Back in the cabin, Alice, Brenda, and Bill... Oh, Bill's another counselor who is there. I don't remember when he first appeared. Anyways, those three play strip Monopoly before Brenda has to take off. Things are getting a little too sexy. She hears a child's voice calling out, help me, which she follows to the archery range. There, someone turns on the lights. But who? It's the killer. (laughs) Big surprise. Big reveal. (laughs) After Bill and Alice notice all their friends are missing, they find an axe on Marcy's bed with blood and everything. Ready to call the police, they break into the office, but of course, the phone line's been cut. Bill goes outside to check on something. Who cares? He's gone. And a beat (laughs) later, when Alice goes to look for him, she finds his dead body pinned to a door by arrows. Then camp owner Steve returns and jovially greets the unseen killer. Then he gets stabbed. Alice goes on to close the blinds, lock the doors, and grab a knife, but she's not alone for long, as Brenda's corpse then gets hucked through the window. And she's extra dead. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, some headlights illuminate the cabin. Someone else is here. Brenda runs out and meets Mrs. Voorhees, an older woman who is a friend of the camp owners. She tells Alice a story about a little boy, Jason, who drowned at Camp Crystal Lake in 1957, a year before those two counselors were murdered. Then, Mrs. Voorhees reveals that Jason was her son. <laughs> There's no reason for the subterfuge. It lasts half a second. <laughs> so weird. She then goes on to say that the camp counselors were having sex while Jason thrashed in the water and died. Now, Mrs. Voorhees is on a quest for revenge against all Camp Crystal Lake counselors for letting her son drown. This is our killer, Jason's mom. We're then treated to a flailing sequence wherein Alice impotently tries to escape a murderous Mrs. Voorhees. 
After a few embarrassing attempts to escape in various different buildings, however, Alice is attacked by a machete-wielding Mrs. Voorhees out on the docks. After a fight and a struggle, Annie gets a hold of the machete and swings for the fences. She is able to lop off Mrs. Voorhees' head with one powerful blow. <laughs> Alice then climbs into a canoe and falls asleep. In the morning, as police officers arrive, she is pulled under the water by a monster boy! When Alice wakes up in the hospital, she asks if her friends survived. They did not. And then asks if anyone found Jason the monster boy. She is given another big fat no. Alice then speculates that Jason must still be down there. And as we know from all of the sequels to this movie, he is. <laughs> and Roxy, that's sure the original is. Friday the 13th. Yeah, that's the original Friday the 13th. What'd you think of this movie? Uh, it's really interesting to see this being the first movie of this insane franchise that has sp spans so many sequels and mm -hmm. is so seeped into pop culture and everything. Um, and seeing how they did a really interesting thing where you don't see the killer, so you have no idea who it is, and then it's revealed to be Jason's mom, of all people. Who, right. by the way, she's, like, revealed to be the killer in the exact same scene she shows up and anyone is made aware of her, which is, like, that's a choice. Right. But the, this idea of having a mother who is this serial psychopathic killer who you wouldn't expect, because, like, you see in the scene where Alice goes to run out to her when she sees her, she's like, oh, this motherly, kindly-looking older woman who should be, like, a safe kind of nurturing figure, she just runs and hugs her immediately. <laughs> right. You know, without knowing what's going on, because she gives that kind of comforting vibe. And then having that twist and turn to be like, Oh, no, she's actually an, an insane psychopathic killer. Um, right. She's going to kill you. <laughs> that would have been fun to play with for an entire movie. Yeah, instead of it just being for two minutes, maybe, when she shows up. <laughs> this movie is structurally very bizarre. Like, it is. It truly is. We open with a murder, and then we're told very shortly after that the key moment when this story truly began, we didn't see, and it happened just before that murder. Like, this movie should have opened with Jason drowning. Yeah, I assumed it would. I assumed we were going to get that scene and then yeah. we never did. Like, we watched Final Girls, which is very obviously parodying this first Jason movie, this first mm -hmm. Friday the 13th movie. And even they show a scene, which is like the flashback of when the murderer gets tortured uh, to yeah. become who he is. And the fact that they didn't do it here and we just hear it through her monologue is so weird. Such a weird choice. Yeah. And then we get a, a choice that I think if it were the only like weird choice, I would be like, this is very interesting and I kind of like it. But the fact that it's one of many bizarre little decisions in this movie, we're introduced to who we assume will be our protagonist, Annie. Alice. Going. No, a Annie. Oh, this sorry. One I, okay, I there is an Annie correctly. and Alice. Yes. Sorry, you are. <laughs> yeah. You are. You are. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, Annie is, she is, is the is backpacker. Like, yeah. Yes. She's, yes. like, journeying to Camp Crystal Lake. We're, like, getting to know the world through her. She seems like our protagonist. She and meets then the Harbinger. Killed. She has a sassy back and forth with the truck driver guy. Like, yeah, she's right. completely set up. There's no reason for her and Alice to both be in this movie. She should just get to camp and then be Alice. <laughs> like, they should just be one character. But they don't. Yeah. Like, like I said, if this were done in a vacuum, I'd be like, oh, that's kind of an interesting way to play with us. Like, it's sort of the psycho idea, right? To kill your main character very early in the movie is to tell us that anyone can die at any point. But then they yeah. don't. Then they just go through this kind of, um, I don't know, it's hard to tell what was, like, unique for the time and what has become route because we've seen it so much. Yeah. But, like, they just go through a really standard 
killing the characters you think would be killed at the time when you think they'd be killed. Alice is very clearly the hero the Lori. once Anna, Annie is dead. Yeah, she becomes the Lori. Yeah. And we kind of are off to the races for a really standard horror movie. It's just like, like again, I don't want to take this, do this with every movie, but like to rewrite this movie, it's open with the Jason drowning scene. Mrs. Voorhees works there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we see her in the beginning and Annie becomes our main character and she hikes into town and she probably escapes. No, she doesn't escape the killer because Mrs. Voorhees there. She doesn't need to escape the killer. Who cares? She gets to the camp and then she meets Mrs. Voorhees and then uh, Steve realizes she can draw and he touches her face weird and we just do the same story. <laughs> and it all like kind of sits and like feels more comfortably like a story. Yeah, they could have easily combined them into the same character or just cut uh annie i right. think especially because then you have the harbinger come and tell the counselors again like there's two harbinger scenes in this which is so strange and the second one he's just like a cop comes by and is like hey there's like the town weirdo is running around if you see him just like let me know that cop uh-huh. scene is also extremely weird because like kevin bacon is high and he's very lenient about it. he's just like don't, don't <laughs> you you smoking the marijuana kid stop it Okay, goodbye. Tell me if you see that weird guy. Um, but he's just like in their pantry in the dark. So he's yeah. hiding in a dark pantry. And then Alice opens the door and finds him and screams. And then he just continues reciting his rant. Mm-hmm. And then the other, uh, another girl, I think, oh, I don't, Marcy? Marcy, I think, shows up and is like, what? What is going on? And so he recites his his Harbinger speech then leaves, then hops on his bicycle because he bikes around, and the camera lingers on him as he bikes away into the distance for, like, five minutes, and then you never see him again. It's so weird. There's so many scenes that are just drawn out where it feels like it is to pad the movie for screen time. Like, this is also a very budget movie. I think Mm. it was maybe 44 or 55 grand to make it, which is insane how cheap it was, and then it made, like, millions. So it is, it was extremely profitable Hmm. but there's times like that where it really shows its budget Mm -hmm. because like you're in this one location that is outdoors a lot of the things are supposed to be kind of like maybe not run down or super well taken care of so Mm -hmm. it's not like they had to spring for a really fancy kind of shooting location um they might have even known a guy (laughs) i can't remember I read some facts of it, and I can't remember if they said anything specific about that. It, this movie does have a lot of yeah. I knew a guy vibes to it. Like, yes. Yep. Which I don't mind. It just feels like, uh, I, I, I don't know if this is the case. It feels like Mrs. Voorhees is probably like a notable actor of her time. She is. It's very interesting, actually, her entire interaction with this movie. The only reason why she said yes to it when previously multiple other well-known actresses turned it down was because she needed a new car. And (laughs) the cost of it was like 10 grand and she was paid a thousand bucks a day, was there for 10 days, and it was enough to buy her car. So because she needed a new car and said yes to the script that she thought was garbage, by the way... Initially, I don't know if she thought differently about it later. I'm sure she, like, looked back on the time that she spent there fondly, even if she still thought the script was mm-hmm. trash. But uh, just because she needed a new car, that we got a very iconic horror yeah. villain, which is kind of insane to think about. She's very much known for doing sort of, like, kindly, gentler roles. So she was mm-hmm. also like, why the fuck are you asking me to do this? This uh-huh. is weird, but sure, okay, I need a new car. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel like because she's in the movie for such a short time that, like... Okay, we know we can only get this actress for a little bit yeah. of time, so like let's yeah. do what we can. 
I want to also ask you, Roxy, about the supernatural aspect of this movie. Okay. Because we know going forward there will be a supernatural aspect. There will be a a, a Jason <laughs> running around. But uh-huh. this movie kind of can't decide if there's supernatural stuff happening or not. Like, Really? Well, it just feels like the Harbinger, of course, is having prophetic dreams about what's going on. Which I mean, is, he's saying he is, whether he is or not, exactly. is debatable. Yeah. So he is established as this crazy person. So if this was going to be a completely grounded, realistic movie, it would be like, okay, yes, of course, he's just uh, being his crazy harbinger self. But then we also get one of the normal counselors who says, like, I have dreams about blood raining down. And so it's so- like- I completely forgot that even was a line until you, I read it in the summary that you wrote and was like, oh, I guess she did say that. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Truly insane. How did, how did it go? She said that like it was a reoccurring dream or. Yeah. It's something about like, she's dreaming about a blood rain. She, and I want to say, this could be me making it up because I want my point to stand, (laughs) but I don't remember. (laughs) But I think she talks about raining blood at a camp and she's been having these dreams for this long. So it's like. Is she just coincidentally having these dreams when she's going to go to a camp and get murdered? Like, there is something going on. Like, it's, again, if these if this was happening in, div- like, in a vacuum and everything else about the movie was, like, understate- understandable, right? If it was open with the Jason scene and we got the um, Annie comes in and acts as our protagonist, I would be like, mm-hmm. oh, it's, like, an interesting thing that, like, they're saying something about, like, these kids are marked. They have always, like, their destiny was to go to this camp and get murdered. But it's not. It just feels like a a weird, flimsy little, like, just decide who's going to, like, if it's just going to be, if there's going to be prophecies, just give them all to Ralph. Like, he, we don't need yeah. one of our characters that we're theoretically empathizing with to also be having prophecies. I also think that it didn't need to happen because I don't think there is a supernatural element to this at all. It's more about people just experiencing trauma or just being a little unhinged. Like, I think Ralph is unhinged. And then with um, Alice at the end, thinking that Jason pulls her in and then waking up and being like, well, what about that boy? (laughs) He's still down there. That's like the trauma she experienced um, Mm -hmm. with everything going on. Like, I, I don't think... There was actually a zombie Jason that pulled her in. I think it's more of just the way that her trauma was manifesting and she was trying to cope with it in that moment. Yeah. But you could also debatably say maybe that is supposed to be supernatural because then in the sequels, Jason's a thing and whatever. The Uh, the sequels makes it canon. (laughs) Yeah. The movie on its own. I I can't. So I I don't remember Jason or Friday the 13th 2. If I've even seen it, I can't recall it. So I don't know if it's like he was alive that whole time or if it proceeds through then like how that exactly ties in but so it is that he's been alive the whole time but as of this movie the first one he's not it does make me want to rewatch friday the 13th part two i want to yes we got to find it somewhere i think it might actually be on peacock or something okay great uh because yeah there, there is an interesting transition to be made like if they say that jason was just like in the woods this whole time because theoretically yeah. he wouldn't have stayed a boy Right, like I think exactly, he would grow up and be muscle hulking death machine. Right, if it was a little haunted water boy running around, I think that'd be very scary. Yeah, that too could have been an interesting angle, which they (laughs) definitely didn't do at all. I know that the second movie he doesn't have his mask, so he's got like a burlap sack, and then the third movie is when he gets his mask. The third movie feels like 
<laughs> they always do this in like the second season of a TV show. Like the first season of a show will like break everything. They'll be like, uh, I'm going to uh, coach Taylor is going to TCU and he's not going to coach the Dylan Panthers in season two of Friday Night Lights. And then there's like a couple like three or four episodes where it's like it's not the show, you know, because they've made that big change at the end of the first season. And then there's like an episode three or four where everything just gets back to normal. And we're like, OK, thank God. Coach Taylor's back. Smash Williams is back. We're back to where we were. And that's sort of how, having not seen it, Friday the 13th Part 3 feels to me. Like, we can just sit back. Okay. We've got a hockey mask. We've got a machete. We got teenagers. We can just relax. Yeah. I do have one little fact. There was a death involved in this movie. Oh, what? The 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 murder victim was a snake. Is that like a you. real snake getting murdered? Yes. So, like... That snake that gets chopped up is actually killed on camera, but the thing is they hired an animal wrangler, it's his pet snake that is trained, and nobody told him it was going to be killed. <laughs> so they just hack up his pet snake on camera and then tell him, and he's like, what the fuck, you were just supposed to be borrowing my pet, and then you murdered it. That's insane. And so this movie literally has a kill count with this poor snake that was somebody's <laughs> pet, it's so sad. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Listen, obviously, I wish they would have told him or used a fake snake. Yeah, like, they, it, it didn't need to have that. It didn't add anything to the movie to have this part where she, like, silently screams about a snake and then they kill it. But that's that's what I was going to say. I would argue that snake scene is vital because it's the only character arc we get in the movie. Where character she, arc? Where in Alice goes from seeing a creature and screaming for her friends and they come and kill it for her to at the end, uh, she's okay. the one who hacks the head off the snake. Because she's finally okay. become enough of herself to uh, kill a thing. It's a That's bad true. arc. It's not like it's not like emotionally resonant, but it is an arc. She does have a change, and therefore, this is technically a movie. That whole scene is also just really goofy because all of them, like all the teens, pile into a in that room, and there's like no soundtrack happening, but they're like jumping <laughs> around on the bed and like flipping over the mattress and like squealing and yeah. jumping around. <laughs> And Kevin Bacon hacks it. I love that scene and the archery scene a lot. Like, I think one thing this movie does oh my God, really well is make it scene. seem like we're just like a bunch of weirdo kids having fun. You know, we're at a yeah. camp. We're by ourselves. And actually, I think that kind of gets me at least into the big idea of this movie. Okay. Go for it. What What is the big idea of this movie for you? Allow me to present a case, Roxy. That this oh, wow. Movie okay actually has uh, guys mikey just handed me a manila file folder with uh sticky notes <laughs> tabbed so i'm going to open this one right now okay. read it and then burn it okay. this information can't get out and yet i'm gonna talk about it on a podcast roxy <laughs> i think this movie has an interesting take on all older generations throughout history's predisposition to say that the kids are getting it wrong the kids are not mm. all right i'll say broad picture the idea of clumping kids together, not as individuals, but as a group that are the youth, the kids, the counselors, mm. the horror that these teens are going up against is not anything specific to them. It is the ghosts of counselors past, right? This is Mrs. Voorhees had a crime committed against her by camp counselors at Camp Crystal Lake, mm -hmm. and she is taking her revenge on all counselors 
throughout the generations. Because she doesn't yeah. see them as individuals. She sees them as the youth, as the counselors, as the people who all – it was the youth. It was the younger generation that killed my son. And we get so many examples of this that, like, once I started to think, like, oh, are we doing this? Like, her very um, – Annie's ride into the camp with Ennis. It might be Enos. I don't remember. He says, like, you dumb kids, you got rocks for heads. And she's like, oh, you're an American original. Like, yeah, the entire exchange is so awkward and funny. And also, like, but it's like, I think that is the, yeah, it informs it, uh, saves the cat theme stated. Like, that's what the movie Mm. is about. It's like, you kids have rocks in your heads. And it's like, oh, aren't you smart? Aren't you clever? And, because everybody's yeah. been saying that. It's been said since the beginning of time. That we're like and also, it's kids. not even like a tangible thing to be like, this is what you're doing wrong. It's just, I'm older, so I know better. So you young kids don't know anything. Instead mm-hmm. of being like, this is a specific thing you guys are doing wrong. Right. You know, that I'm doing right. <laughs> Here, here's my thesis statement with my manila folder. And <laughs> tabbed notes. But I would also argue that the reason Alice is able to survive this and what makes her unique is that she is an individual like we get i i think that this drawing stuff that they talk about in one scene at the very beginning with steve where he's like creeping on her Uh, yeah we should talk about that at some point too. (laughs) (laughs) like he brings up this idea that like she's a good artist and that's like a kind of unique thing and it's something individual to her and it's actually like one of the great details of her character because it never comes up. It just makes her feel like it's not a plot point. Yeah, it's kind of a shame that they never, yeah, they kind of just set in that one scene, like you said, and then we never really hear about it again. It's just a um, little bit of texture that makes her feel like, again, like an individual. And she so happens yeah. to be the only one who survives because everybody else is kind of a trope. They're like these Yeah, young, they're very on the surface. Sexy, like you don't, yeah, you don't know anything else about them besides like their tropes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I didn't So have we you. have this nightmare woman who has who sees no difference between these counselors and the counselors who actually wronged her she sees no difference between these kids with rocks in their heads that all of our people have and she's going through and killing them she's enacting her revenge because she doesn't see the individuality of these kids like i think this movie is like a really smart way of just like shouting to the rafters like there's not a group of kids <laughs> that are dumb and bad. There's individual people, and some kids are smarter, and some kids are dumber, and some kids are so obsessed with sex, they're going to let a yeah. kid drown. And some kids are so obsessed with sex, they're going to uh, have sex underneath their bloody friend's body. But, like, <laughs> so distracted, they can't all even see it. unique people. And I just, like, ended up being, like, really kind of inspired and moved by this movie. I thought that was, like, a really smart huh. and interesting little point to be made and it's like i i always say that like i love a horror movie where the monster isn't just a monster who's killing at random it's a a metaphor for something that we all deal with and certainly i've felt that you know i've been told uh (laughs) by like adults that like of course you're gonna vote for joe biden because you're just a dumb kid and it just like it does kind of make you feel small and bad and we want to fight against that uh i don't know that's that's my case the case has been presented you can accept it or (laughs) throw it away roxy what did you think was the big idea of the movie yeah i'd say i agree with a lot of the stuff you said about that and i think to kind of branch off from that we have kind of a reverse psycho situation where it is a mother killing for her son instead of like a son killing for his mother especially where she literally has to 
speak in a childlike voice to egg herself on to like get herself to even be at a point where she can kill again like she's gone mm-hmm. so off the rails <laughs> that yeah she just sees every camp counselor as the camp counselor who killed her son mm-hmm. so it, it's like a reflection of hey this is what happens if you literally just live in the woods and stew in your <laughs> grief for like 30 years like you cannot move on you're not even trying to move on mm. you've just decided to double down because living with your grief and this uh i don't know mirage i guess of her son that lives in her head mm-hmm. is like more palatable to her than trying to accept that grief and live on without her son yeah so it is like the way that a mother loves a child so much that she literally, like, lost her mind when he wasn't mm. around. Um, especially because they don't talk about the father, so I don't know if she had any sort of support of anybody to lean on. I mean, she's just, like, also in the woods somewhere because she knew the, what is it, what's his name? Is it Steve, who's the guy who is running the place? Yes. Steve, Steve yes. Is the so, like, S- Steve's family, whether she knows them or not, she says she does. I'm assuming she probably does because she was just living out in the woods, maybe. <laughs> like, in another well, also, cabin. He's familiar with her. Like, he, he is known Yes, he does her. know her. Yeah, yeah. So, she didn't move out of this town where her son died. She just kind of decided to stew in her grief, and then it drove her mad. Mm-hmm. Which is like a cautionary tale in a way to be like, maybe uh, <laughs> this is not an acceptable way to deal with your grief, I guess. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I like that a lot. Like this idea that she was in the woods, that she is both emotionally and tangibly in the woods. Like she never yeah. was able to escape after her uh, her boy died. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, like she was working. So she also pawned off the... I guess, responsibility of her son on these teens who are not really prepared to be in charge of other living people mm-hmm. while she was working, too. So, like, maybe part of her blames herself to be like, well, if I wasn't working and was watching him, he never would have drowned. Um, although they never they never dig that deeply yeah. into it. They, so they, I'd say... They don't. Yeah, they, they definitely don't. It's a lot more surface level. So I... I'd like to think that there's kind of uh, threads of both of those things we talked about, and part of it is probably us looking a little too far into it based on what the movie is presenting as well. Yeah, that's fair. I I think there's, I I feel like there's enough evidence for this, like, generational thing that, like, I think they were going into it with that. Uh, I think so, too. But also, I'm enamored by this. (laughs) I I love a good thematic explanation that is like, she's in the woods. Both emotionally and tangibly. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. We can just like, uh, not just uh, the one thing, but also the underlying truth is there too. Like that's uh, always gets me every time. I'd also <laughs> like to bring up the POV shots that they did as well. Mm. So like they very vocally like stated that they were inspired by Halloween, by the first Halloween movie. Mm-hmm. So the first Halloween movie starts with that POV of Michael killing his sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you take the mo- mask off, you get the reveal, which this movie uses that POV in a very interesting way where it obscures the killer's identity. So you mm-hmm. can't even tell the body type because you're just seeing from the killer's POV. Yeah. And it does give little clues along the way, like when Steve gets killed. Well, I guess even for each step of the way, like when uh, Annie gets in the car with her, 
she seems very like open and bubbly and confident mm-hmm. because she just thinks she's talking to this like kindly motherly figure. Like she doesn't think there's anything to fear from this individual. So she, yeah, gets in the car and is fine with it until, you know, the tables turn and she tries to kill her. <laughs> and then Steve, who is already familiar with her, greets her like, even though it's in the middle of the night in the middle of a forest, he's like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? Like, greets her very positively and friendly and then gets stabbed. So you're like, oh, that's interesting. Why would he be greeting the killer like that? You know, you'd assume if it's a menacing killer, these people wouldn't be so susceptible or wouldn't kind of hesitate to be like, wait, is this really happening? Is this this kindly old lady actually killing me? Oh, she's actually (laughs) killing me. So I thought that was an interesting way to kind of like seed threads about the killer's identity, even though I I don't like how she's just revealed to be the killer in the same scene she's in. Like I already harped on that Mm -hmm. before. But I think that was an interesting way to kind of give clues without being too overt about it. Yeah, so. I don't I don't mind it. I'm like my brain is working yeah. right now to like is there any other way to do that and not really. Just because like you're you're right. Any sort of shot of the killer even like from afar like starts to give hints about body type and yeah, hair color and stuff like and all of a sudden we're like I, I feel like the only part that I would argue is unfair is when Annie is running away in the woods from the killer. We get a couple shots of like workman pants and boots Mm. that it feels like probably mrs Voorhees. i don't remember what she's wearing in the last scene but that's probably not what she was wearing and it almost feels like that is kind of a bait and switch yeah Um, Yeah. um it is a little unfair (laughs) yeah like we're just not gonna show she's never been introduced until the scene that she's there so there's no way you could like guess at it being her which Mm. uh it, it felt like they were trying to hold it off to be like, oh, well, who could it be? Not not exactly in like a smart enough who done it sort of way. Like they weren't seeding clues in that way. But you've got to at least show that character, mm-hmm. even if she's just in the diner and has a line or something. Or, or I if went you do back, see her in the flashback. I went back to the diner scene just to like, I was like, she must have been in the diner scene. There's no okay, way that the first she? time she absolutely was not. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it was like, that would be such a good way to get everybody like, like the, everybody knows about her and the Jason stuff and they kind of like look over and they're like, oh, I thought I it feels like that's totally the way to do it. Yeah. I, did have a, I did have a you mentioned um, they never talk about Jason's dad. I had a theory. Oh, really? OK, let's hear it. What about the Harbinger? <laughs> oh, he is married. Um, they talk about how his wife is looking for him and she'll be sad if he's not home. But I can't remember if they say the wife's name. Yeah. And I mean, it could have been a thing where it was a wedlock as well. For all mm-hmm. we know. Well, also, I, I was like, well, maybe they're just living together. I don't know that we necessarily got anything from Mrs. Voorhees that implied she wasn't still engaging in the town. Like, I almost could see, like, the reopening of Camp Crystal Lake being what spurs the, like, homicidal <laughs> tendency back yeah, on. Yeah, like, like she, she doesn't do it out of season again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She got away with it back in the past. And then Camp mm-hmm. Crystal Lake closed down. She's like, great, the camp counselors are gone. And then when camp counselors return, then it's time to... I try to get out and they keep pulling me back in. That's <laughs> ostensibly from The Godfather, but also they say it a lot in The Sopranos. <laughs> this idea that like she could have just been a normal member of society and yeah. had her husband who becomes a drunk, right? Because he also lost his son mm-hmm. and is just kind of fumbling around the town and she's struggling too, but God bless him. And then, yeah, Jason comes back and uh, hockey masks them all up. Yep. That would be cool. I mean, I guess we get sort of a version of that in the sequels where, yeah, he gets to hack them all up, I guess, eventually. (laughs) Roxy, do you have a question for me? 
I sure do. So uh, there's a scene on the docks where our teens are chatting about what kind of ice cream flavor would you be and why? <laughs> um, and I thought, why don't we do that quiz too? Why don't we do that BuzzFeed quiz from the, the 80s? <laughs> uh, so Mikey, what flavor of ice cream would you be and why? I would be, um, it's a <laughs> it's a Cold Stone flavor. Okay. It's called Somewhere Over the Rain Dough. And it would have all right. cake batter and Kit Kats and Nestle Crunch all chopped up and mixed into oh, it. Oh, wow. Because, Roxy, that. that pun, somewhere over the rainbow, is a lot. All these extra <laughs> mix-ins. It's too much. It's just an ice cream that is overthought. And the fact that I just <laughs> presented a thematic case for Friday the 13th tells you how my brain works. <laughs> and it is, it is diving too deep for something that should be sugary and sweet. It's, uh... Uh, I don't know. A good way to put it. It's still wrap- wrapped up in a tasty package, I'd say. It's still tasty I, ice cream. I agree. I am a tasty package. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Roxy, what flavor of ice cream would you be? Um, So I struggled with coming up with this. So you might have to help me a little because your description mm. was very succinct. I thought when we were talking about this earlier. Mm-hmm. So I would say a there's a particular kind of sorbet that I get that is raspberry with chocolate chips in it mm. uh, that is very good, mm-hmm. very, very tasty. And <laughs> I'd say because it's the raspberry is like tart. So I, you've heard me both on the podcast and off the podcast get like <laughs> very intense about things, whether I mm-hmm. dislike something intensely or like something intensely, which can kind of be overwhelming and a lot uh-huh. like a tart taste would be. <laughs> <laughs> But then you, you, turn, you've you, got these... you turn sour very fast. Oh, do when, I? Like, <laughs> when, when somebody is, like, has upset you, <laughs> when a, a creepy camp counselor touches a girl's face, you're like, I don't like him. Yeah. And, <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. Contrasted with the chocolate, there's a lot of sweetness also. It's a, it's a nice swirl of both. Yeah. Because, like, as much as I get into arguing about things that I don't like, I very much am like, hey, I want to share these things that I do like. Mm-hmm. You got that contrast. So it's a a good flavor of ice cream for you to be, Roxy. Thank you. Roxy, on a scale of one to nine, since the number of 10 does not exist in the scary basement, how likely are the events of the original Friday the 13th to happen in real life? Uh, So I said a four out of nine. Oh, interesting. Okay. So someone you don't expect to be a murderer is the murderer, and then they get away with it for far longer than they should have as a result. Hmm notoriously happens all the time like you and me both listen to the my favorite murder Mm -hmm. podcast and the whole pillar of the community is always the fucking one who does it some guy who is a little too entrenched into people's private lives and gets this very nice guy image that people can rely on so he can get close to people and kill them and then be above suspicion Mm -hmm. that happens way more likely than i wish it would (laughs) so uh I'd say four out of nine with Mrs. Voorhees getting away with this for literally decades. <laughs> what about you? Well, hold on. Your, your score is very low. It's not likely to happen. But it sounds like your your justification was that it is something that happens a lot. Yeah, I guess it's it should likely. be more than halfway. Because, like, I guess Mrs. Voorhees in this way doing it is normally not what you expect. Like I said, it's more like the pillar of the community type. Mm-hmm. But more of the concept of a murderer who you don't expect. I guess it should be bumped up. I'd say, okay, I'm going to revise it. I'm going to say a six out of nine. Okay. Because officially changing it in my word doc. I said a nine out of nine. This is the most realistic movie I've ever seen. Both because we've we've always got like, 
we've got the thematics. We've got the uh, the trauma of losing your son and going ape. Like, sure, I can see that happening. It all feels very true. Uh, this is all could happen. Like, it's all... I, I think my big argument is, does one unusual thing lead to a series of heightening things? And I think that, yeah, like, a kid drowns at a camp. That is a horrifying thing, but that could happen. The mother responds to that in a, a fucked up way, but like in a way that like tracks logically from that. Even at the end where she's like, but Jason, is he still out there? Like this idea of like waking up from a dream and thinking it's real for a minute, like struck me mm. as very true. I was like, oh yeah, of course she had, she had a bad dream and she woke up and she asked about it because she's just been through this unreal situation like that. For all of this movie's faults, it almost feels more realistic. Like, why should the prettiest, cutest girl who we happen to meet first in the movie be the one that's going to be the survivor? Like, yeah, it's, it was kind of random. Miss Voice yeah. picking pe- kids off as they come. It wasn't yeah. that, like, <laughs> she wasn't concerned with the story arc of <laughs> this backpacker girl. Yep. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing, Roxy. We did last week make a bet for uh friday the 13th yes we did make a bet classic kill count bet you got it with a slasher especially like one of the first landmark slashers i again i always think that like these older movies have a lower kill count so i said six yeah and i said 10 because yeah. why not 10 <laughs> you were much closer i got i i got nine my count was nine nine okay so all right great work wait roxy wait hang on wait what what is the tally for that? Roxy, you have 29 points. I have 22. Tw- Tied with two. Mikey. Something will happen at 30. And oh we're, get, we're getting there. Oh, boy. It, it could be the next episode if you don't pull this back, Mikey. You're right. Okay. I'm going to focus. I'm scared. Up. You you got to think next really step. hard about this. Oh, oh, oh hold on. My, my phone's ringing. Oh, okay. Oh, hold on. I should take this. It's my mom. Hey, Mom, how are you? How are you? How are you? He asked me. You know, don't you know what day it is today? Uh, no, Mom, what day is it today? Oh, uh, it's my half birthday. You know, I don't believe it. My son, he never calls. He never writes. Right, Mom, listen, this is not a good time. I'm talking Friday the 13th with Roxy in the scary basement. Oh, Friday the 13th. Is that the one where Jason's mom goes out and, and kills all those teenagers to avenge her son? You know what? Now there's a mother that I can relate to. Uh, hey, Mrs. McCuller, it's Roxy. Hi, nice to meet you. Um, what do you mean you relate to Jason's mom? She was a murderer. Oh, yeah, but she was devoted to her son. She gave her life for her son. And you know, that's what I did for my children. And what do I get in return? I get no call, even on my half-birthday. Hey, Mom, I gotta go. Oh, and that boy, that Jason, oh, you know, he came back in all of the sequels, and he got revenge against everyone who hurt his mother. Oh, would my son do that for me? I, I doubt it. Of course your son wouldn't get revenge for you. Jason kills people to get that revenge. Do you want a son who kills people? I want a son who honors his mother. And if that means murdering a few unruly teens, I, uh, you know what, I'll say this. There are these boys in my neighborhood. They are outside all hours of the night. They're screaming and they're laughing. Oh, and they're skateboarding, always with the skateboarding. And does my son even offer to don a hockey mask or pick up a machete? No. No, he does not. Because, because my son doesn't love me. 
Hey, Mom, that's not true. I do love you. Oh, sure. You love me so much. You can't wait to get off the phone with me. Oh, I'm busy. I'm doing a podcast. Oh, my God. You're so important. All right, Mom, what's going on in your life? What's happening? Okay, well, I'll tell you. You know my friend Helen? You remember Helen? She lives next door to me in this god-awful retirement home that you put me in. Yeah, Mom, I remember Helen. Okay, well, Helen hosts a little get-together. She's got tea and cookies. She goes into her apartment with all the girls that we play bridge with, and she doesn't say one word to me about it. I'm sorry, that's really too bad, Mrs. McCuller. Yeah, yeah, you know, doesn't it make you want to put Helen in a sleeping bag and just smash her into a tree until she dies? No, it doesn't, Mom. I like Helen, and... Honestly, even if I didn't like Helen, I would not want to serial kill her like I was a freaking Jason. You know what? Your expectations of me are, to be honest, unreasonable. You know, I say, Mikey, do you remember Krista Miller, the little girl who was next door when you was growing up? <laughs> yeah, well, guess who she's podcasting with now? A doctor. Yeah, Mother, you've made it abundantly clear that you don't approve of my choice in podcast partners. Guys, I'm like right here... Okay, but you didn't let me finish. She never, you know what? You never let me finish. Well, now, Krista Miller is podcasting with a doctor, and guess what that doctor just did? What's that, Mom? He took Manhattan! That's, okay, that's great, Mom. Listen, I am not Jason. I have no interest in taking Manhattan. Oh, fine. You know, you just leave me in a rot, then. Rot in Richfield, Minnesota, and not take me in Manhattan. You know, which you would take if you loved your mother. Look, Ma, I do gotta go, all right? Good night. Aw, you know what? The way you talk to me, you know, you might as well put a machete in my heart. That was uh, pretty intense, Mikey. Is that, are all of her calls like that? No, that was a good one. Oh, okay. Speaking of people I don't much like talking to, here comes the demon bot. Congratulations, Mikey and Roxy. You have successfully reviewed Friday the 13th. Your souls are safe for another week. For next week, you must watch the 2018 film Butterfly Kisses. If you do not, your souls shall be forfeit and I will claim your bodies as my own. Uh, okay, Roxy, so next week we are going to watch the found footage horror movie Butterfly Kisses, is that right? Documentary? <sighs> Who knows? We will find out. Yeah, so let's make a bet for that movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, the title is called Butterfly Kisses, so why don't we make a bet about how many kisses are going to be in this movie? Mm. And butterfly, butterfly kisses do count. Yes, butterfly kisses or real on, on with using your human mouth or and monster <laughs> mouth or whatever is in this movie. <laughs> and to, to clarify, a butterfly kiss is a little like when you get your eyelash eyelashes close. And yeah. You both, and you both blink and then your eyelashes mingle like two butterflies. It's very much the idea of like putting your eye to someone else's eye. It sounds very strange in concept, <laughs> honestly. I don't think I've ever done that in my life. Um, but so how many do you think will will occur in this movie, I'll, Mikey? I'll say three. Okay. Um, I will say six because I'm going to guess that's how oh. the killer kills people. And there's got to be a high that's, body count, right? That's smart. And also any romantic kisses you get to. Count yeah. yeah. Going high was probably smart. You're good. I think we're going to hit 30 next week. Um, okay, maybe I should change it to one. <laughs> Shit, I already said it. Okay. That's locked um, in. All right. Roxy, we've talked a lot of, about scary things. Murder. Jason's. Uh, going to camp uh -huh. away from your parents. <laughs> Creepy dudes who are dating teens. <laughs> What's something that's making you happy? 
Uh, so the thing that's making me happy this week is I finally chatted on the phone with a friend I haven't touched base with for like a long time. Like, Aww. I don't know about you, but just something about phone calls makes me more anxious as years progress. I don't know what about it is. It's just like, just text somebody, you know, then they can read me it at any time of day. And, you know, they can plan around their schedule and everything. So I've become more and more used to just not doing phone calls, not scheduling phone calls, which mm-hmm. sucks because then I lose touch with folks. So I'm glad I finally had like a nice long phone call yesterday with a good friend who I haven't touched base with in a while. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Maybe it's not so bad really to do phone calls. Like get over this phone call anxiety. What's up with you? You're yeah. like, you know, you're you're not 10 years old. <laughs> you can do it. You can <laughs> you're right, do though. it. I, I've always argued that phone calls are more stressful even than like zoom calls or discord calls just because like yeah it's the worst of both worlds you're on the spot right you're talking yes. in real time it's not like texting where you can take a beat and think yeah and, you don't have to worry about delivery but you're also you can't see the person's face so you don't yeah. know if they're like making if they're like looking <laughs> away or if they're like scowling at you you never know you never know what's going on you're i think you're right phone calls are bad i love well, a skype call Especially, like, in work settings, like, any time when they're like, oh, it'll be easier to do this on a phone call than in an email. There's just, like, a surge of anxiety that, like, mm-hmm. grips me. Then I'm just like, no, just email it. Then I can refer back to it later and remember everything that you said. Right. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. So, I, I agree. Skype calls, Zoom calls, Discord call, much, much better. Love them. I'll tell you what's making me happy. What? I want to know. I th- what's up? Roxy, it's weirdly, I think this is the second thing that's making me happy that should have made you happy. Oh? It's another thing about Nier Automata. Oh, okay, wonderful. <laughs> another week with this. What what could it possibly be? It was a story from Kotaku. Okay. Uh, the headline is, she convinced men on Tinder to buy Nier Automata <laughs> and then ghosted them. Okay, I saw this title but never actually read the article, so I'm very excited to find this out. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm sure we'll have the link in the show notes mm-hmm. as well. Uh, It's just a very cute little story about (laughs) this girl who was on (laughs) Tinder and she was like, hey, I love Nier Automata. You should buy it. And these guys do. And then she ghosts them. But like, they get a good game out of it. Truly. Uh, Yeah. Fandom is cool. Uh, I think it's a cool (laughs) little game. Uh, I like this game a lot. Did any of them like message her back to be like, hey, thanks. That was a really good recommendation. (laughs) Even if you ghosted me. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I'm sure they did. (laughs) Uh, it's so funny. And then it's also just like, they, they make a lot of jokes throughout the article about like, you know, a lot of people would be like, wow, I can't believe how easy it was to impress this girl. I just had to buy a video game. And then editors note, the bar is low. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just a very fun little story that I enjoyed poking through. That's rad. So it's like, not just is it a fun story, but the article is like very fun to yeah, read. it's a good article, article also. It's like funny. Okay. That's rad. That's it. Roxy, that's gonna end the episode of scary basement let's now do some haunted plugs so roxy where can people find Uh you on the internet so they can find me on twitter at roxy polk and i am also on twitch as at roxy polk Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't know why i did that (laughs) spooky (laughs) i also am on twitter at mikey mccaller and you can find me on twitch at twitch.tv slash mikey mccaller also you out there listening make sure to give us Five stars. Five scary stars. On your favorite podcast review app. Or just leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, don't forget to share. And scare. This podcast with your friends. Finally, as always, do not sign 
any contracts offered to you by demon robots. Thank you.